Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome to Trades Work. We are so excited to have all of our listeners back. It is our second episode, actually, of 2023. And we're just really excited this year to um, talk with leaders, talk with the folks that are getting work done out there and that impact our industry specifically. So um, today I'm super excited to have Kelly Caulfield. Kelly's the executive director of the Common Sense Institute. If you're not familiar with CSI, they do really great work. You can check them out at their website, commonsenseinstituteco.org. CSI is a nonpartisan research organization that really works um, to protect and promote Colorado's economy. Kelly has a really cool background that we'll get to talk about today. She brings a lot of experience to her role as a leading public public policy expert in the state of Colorado. So I'm super excited to have you on, Kelly. Excited to talk with you and see what's kind of on the agenda and on the horizon for CSI this year. So welcome. Thanks so much, Monica. Really happy to be on. I appreciate everything Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association is doing. Thanks for being a leader in the state. Absolutely. Well, before we really kind of jump into the meat, I just want to congratulate you. I know you're really new to your role at CSI, but have a very long background in Colorado and history and public policy in Colorado. So I know CSI is thrilled to have you on board and welcome. Welcome to that team. Even though I'm not on it, we're thrilled to have you be a part of that team as well. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time. I think as we all try our very best to identify evidence-based objective data to inform public policy. This is the right place to be. It is. Um, it is. In terms of the legislature and informing um, our vote. Well, and for those that don't know you as well, Kelly, you spent a lot of years um, working on public policy, specifically in the K-12 space in Colorado, but have a really long history even outside of that. Will you share a little bit with us just kind of your background and what excited you about working in public policy in Colorado? I started the policy advocacy experience about 20 years ago and started in Washington, D.C., working on Capitol Hill for a variety of legislators. But the the key um, experience was working for United States Senator Mike Enzi, Republican from Wyoming, and had the pleasure to work for him when he was ranking member on the Senate Health, Education, Labor Pensions Committee. Okay. So had six years working for him, learning about those kinds of policy issues, and then was a federal lobbyist for the Society for Human Resource Management, doing workplace and employment policy, which is why the paid leave mandate in Colorado is so interesting, and found my way to Colorado and felt connected to the West, working for Senator Enzi, you know, again from Wyoming, made me excited to be out here. We moved out here right after getting married and have been really drawn to the education ecosystem in Colorado. We have really strong school choice and charter laws, so you can get a lot done here. So it was fun being um, at Colorado Succeeds for almost six years before joining CSI in late October. Absolutely. Well, I know you and I got to work together on some K-12 issues while you were at Succeeds, and it was it was always such a great experience. So we're just so thrilled to have you at the helm here at CSI. So let's jump in. Let's jump into what's going on at CSI. The legislative session just convened this week. I Everyone I've talked to has said something along the lines of only 116 days left. Like people are already on the countdown, which is funny to me. So um, what does that look like for CSI? What sort of legislation do you guys anticipate? And what really, um, what does that look like for our industry and our listeners? Thanks so much, Monica. It, it always starts fast and furiously. 
And as you know, CSI is nonpartisan, we're nonprofit, we are not lobbying at the Capitol. What we are doing is arming groups like RMMCA, other key business and civic partners and voters with the facts on the issues that are most important to our state. And I think as we look to the 74th General Assembly and think about issues of top priority, there's really five. It's hard to limit it, right? But sure. for now, we're thinking about five key buckets that will be a true priority of our research, our analysis, our monitoring this year. And I think it's hard to not start with housing. This seems to be the top tier issue, depending no matter who you talk to. It definitely Democrat. is. We hear it everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Republican, the governor, key associations like you all. And I think, you know, despite indications that home price growth is slowing, there are few signs that we're finding that affordability will improve soon. And we did not take a position on 123, the statewide ballot measure on housing, but that clearly passed. And I think it's now creating an interesting opportunity for the legislature, our local jurisdictions around this first ever voter-initiated affordable housing fund. Absolutely. So we certainly expect some, you know, implementing legislation, maybe some refinements, some technical amendments, to ensure smooth implementation of 123, as well as a whole host. I've seen lists as long as 20 talking about other expected housing related legislation around first rights of refusal, rent control, land use, statewide zoning, et cetera. When it's so interesting, I'll let you jump a little bit further into housing, but when you talk about all of these different kind of key topics related to housing, they're really different municipality to municipality. And when you look at Douglas County versus Denver County or our rural communities versus our suburban communities. There's not, there's probably not a one size fits all answer for our whole state, which creates even bigger challenges at the statewide level and makes the research that you guys do that much more important so that we can see kind of some of those really nuanced differences and how the solutions have to be nuanced as well. I think that's right, Monica. And we might get to it later, but I think, you know, an opportunity for CSI, our housing fellow is Peter Lafari, who is just central to so many of these conversations at the state level, you know, is to work with local jurisdictions about the opportunity that 123 presents. It's an opt-in model. It's not something you just get automatically. So I think we see some energy and interest in educating local jurisdictions. What's the value proposition? Right. And are there ways to work with the legislature to make sure that it actually works in effective ways for all those involved, including Absolutely. the taxpayer? Well, and it exactly. It does come down to the taxpayer and how how the different policies that our state enacts really impact the day-to-day individual and the worker. It doesn't matter what really sector you work in or what industry you work in, housing impacts all of us. So I think I think everyone is kind of on the edge, the edge of their seat to see what plays out this year related to housing and kind of what data you guys bring to the table to help inform that discussion. So I'll be I'll be especially interested in that. I think you're right. And Monica, I appreciate you saying, you know, workforce and the impact on the worker because you know, I said there were five key issues. Just to finish that, talked a lot about housing. I think second is addressing the workforce shortage. It is a key issue, absolutely, to your association and so many others in the state. I, I can't not have a conversation with an employer and hear and not hear about the skills gap, the workforce shortage, where are the workers? And, you know, I think there's an opportunity this session to advance strong work in that area. 
I think the third area that we'll be focused on is energy and emission reductions. Sure. The state is not on track to meet its emission reduction targets. So I think lawmakers, they're likely to pursue new energy regulations and mandates. We have to keep our eye on the ball. Meeting those targets will clearly require increased investment in renewable energy infrastructure simultaneously at a time of elevated utility prices and a concern about the reliability of renewable energy. It's an interesting balance. And I know, sorry to interrupt you. I know, I think it was last year, maybe it was 21, but CSI did a report on all of the different laws and policies and regulations that were rolling through the system related to energy. And I could have my figure wrong, but I think there was something like 20 laws passed since, since 2018, specifically related to energy production and energy regulation. And how does that work in a state like Colorado when we do have so much going on and so many new things being passed? That how, how do we catch up? How do we let those policies kind of play out without over-policying ourselves? The reason it feels like so much policy and attention at the state level is we believe that the targets set by the state too much, too fast, that a more measured approach is needed in the state, more of an all of the above energy policy approach, thinking about nuclear, thinking about other strategies to, we can still reduce our carbon footprint, but not choosing winners and losers and having a broader approach. CSI is very excited to continue to lead in this area, and we expect significant research and the onboarding of new fellows to really own and and continue that work. Well, I love the phrase you just used, picking winners and losers. That's part of what makes an organization like CSI so cool is because you don't advocate for specific policy and you're not there lobbying at the Capitol, you guys don't have to pick winners and losers. You just get to bring us the facts and let the rest of us fight it out using the information that you provide. So we are incredibly grateful for that. I think the fourth issue we're focused on is investing in water. And we know that Colorado has to adapt to an intensifying water shortage in the very near future. And the 2023 water plan really, I think, provides an opportunity outlining important projects and adaptations that the state needs. But it lacks sufficient funding. We are pleased to see the governor allocate some additional dollars to water. That's important. But more needs to be done. And we think that the key issue that will be facing this legislature, and let's be honest, won't be solved in just mm-hmm. one legislative session. But over the next year or two, that key issue is not how to change or modify all of our interstate compacts and decrees, because that will get us nowhere, but how to best comply with them in the face of increasing competition for water. How do we look at storage? How do we incentivize more regional approaches? Absolutely. That water, that water storage issue will be a fascinating one to see play out. I don't think a lot of people actually realize that water flows out of Colorado, not in. We are a provider of water to other states, but there's no one dumping water into our state. So that's a, it's a limited resource and it's a resource that our state is so desperately in need of. And it is, it is a significant economic driver as well, which I don't think people often think about either, that water is money in Colorado. Absolutely. That will be a top priority. We're well positioned to continue to provide, I think, strong research in that area with our power team, our dynamic duo of our two water fellows, Eric Kuhn, with more of a Western Slope background, and Jennifer Gimble, who a little more familiar and has her career along the front range. And as you know, mm-hmm. this has been 
a big part of the stumbling block in the past that our different regions of the state are not able to get on the same page. Absolutely. Absolutely. Much like housing, water's not the same in every jurisdiction either. It's a <laughs> Colorado's a complicated quilt of places. That's right. You know, moving to the, the final, you know, key priority, it's this web of fragmented workplace and employment mandates that continue to impact employers and have unintended consequences for the worker. And I think that secondary part is something where CSI can continue to shine a bright light on and better educate policymakers and voters about unintended consequences to employees when you continue to mandate things from the state level. I think the paid leave program that's now on the books, the family program is probably the best one you know, to illuminate. That just came online a few days ago with employers beginning to remit their premiums for the new program. And we just issued a report talking about significant risk of insolvency for this program and highlighting what happened in a state fairly close by in Washington, their experience of needing to transfer over $300 million from the state's general fund to address its paid leave program solvency. So I'm starting to wonder where's our extra $300 million and <laughs> where's it coming from in a time of tightening purse strings and a, a very likely recession? That's a great question. And any lobbyists that I've spoken to in the last three days have all said the same thing to me. The state has a really tight budget this year. We're not going to have extra money for all of this big spending. So how do we, in a state that wants to have these really robust and really rich programs, afford to fund them? And how do employers really kind of keep up with that mandate? I took a peek at the report that you all released um, related to that. And it's a significant concern. I mean, there's a really high likelihood we have a solvency issue there and employers can't afford to fund it. And frankly, the state can't afford to fund it. So that'll be an interesting one to keep our eye on this year as well. So I think your list of five really pretty clearly hits on the head the biggest issues that our industry is looking at as well. Even if they seem ancillary to construction, all five of them are really, really germane to the success of this industry and just to the people who work here and the people who are raising families and growing communities in our state. So we're really excited to see what CSI comes up with, what information and facts you guys have to share, because as you pointed out earlier, your team does such a good job of really arming the folks that are on the ground and the employers that are out there trying to live, work and play in our state. So we're, we're excited to see what the year holds. Thank you, Monica. And just to be clear, these are our top five that feel, you know, the most likely to get a lot of attention at the Capitol. We all know this can shift each week. I think crime also continues to be an issue front and center for so many of us. We can't have economic prosperity if you don't feel safe in your house of work or your, your personal house. So we think it's just important that the legislature continues to make smart decisions there. We've already been hearing about challenges with, of course, being number one in auto theft. Is that anything that we should be proud of in this state? Right. Number one for auto theft is a huge issue and, you know, appreciate the governor and some legislators wanting to elevate this issue, we want to hold them accountable to um, putting some ideas forward. Yeah, we want to be number one in a lot of things, but that's definitely not it. Yeah, it's interesting too. And I know you mentioned these are obviously your top five priorities, but they're certainly not your only priorities. CSI is a really small and mighty team. You guys have some of the best researchers out there. And last year, how many reports did CSI issue last year? 
Over 50 reports. Yeah, it's just incredible the amount of data and research that your team is able to churn out. It really is. We are looking forward to see what what comes out this year and what your team's able to come up with to really help make Colorado the most prosperous and the best place to live and really what what will make us number one, right? We don't want to be number one in auto theft. We want to be number one in some of the areas that are actually more exciting, like quality housing, like affordability, like having a water system that's actually functional and benefits our state. So we're looking forward to that. I asked this question of everyone and I didn't prepare you in advance. So if you need a minute, it's okay. When we talk about kind of career paths and how people get where they are, we've talked about your career path a little bit. I love to look back and see where people thought they were going to be. So when you were a little girl, when you were seven or eight year old, Kelly, what did you want to be when you grew up? The great question. I always wanted to be a prosecutor. And now I'm very blessed to have two CSI fellows that I get to live vicariously through with our amazing criminal justice fellows, George Brockler and Mitch Morrissey. So I love spending as much time as I can. Yes, I wanted to be a prosecutor. And I believe my career assessment that I did in middle school, where they look at your strengths and weaknesses so that I would be a good parole officer. Interesting. That is not (laughs) what I have heard. (laughs) It it doesn't surprise me, though. You have such a sensible kind of legal mind that it doesn't surprise me that you would be a good prosecutor. Parole officer does surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) That one always makes me laugh. Yes. I think it's because I even at an early age, signaled in those surveys, a very um, strong understanding of what's right and what is wrong and not liking the gray area. So CSI is a place to be as we are grounded in facts. Absolutely. My mom used to tell me when I was little all the time, just because you argue all the time doesn't make you an attorney, Monica. So, you know, I had I had young legal aspirations of my own and here we are both working in the public policy space. So life throws us for a loop. Well, thanks so much for being on with us today, Kelly. It was Really a pleasure to chat with you and talk through some of those priorities that CSI is focusing on, like housing, energy and emissions reduction, addressing the workforce shortage, which is particularly of interest to my industry. I would actually love to invite you back on the show, hopefully in the near future, to dive into that a little further with us and share some of your thoughts and suggestions on how we really can improve that. So we can chat about that in just a second if you're interested in doing that. But obviously investing in water and all those workplace laws and regulations are are going to be really critical this year. So thank you guys for your focus and energy there. Where can people go, Kelly, if they want to learn more about CSI and the work that you all are doing? Will you remind us where they can stay connected? Absolutely. Thanks, Monica. Our website, it's a long one, but a good one. It's www.commonsenseinstitute.co for Colorado.org. Commonsenseinstitute.co.org. That's where you can get all of our latest research and issue briefs on all of the topics we've talked about today. And follow us on on Twitter. We are trying to be rapidly responding to what the legislature is doing. And I think you'll find a wealth of information there, too. The handle on Twitter is at CSI Institute CO. At CSI Institute CO on Twitter. Then you can go to the Common Sense Institute's website and always keep up to date with all of those reports. So. Well, again, I appreciate it. Kelly, if you're interested, I'd love to have you back to do more of a deep dive on some of the different workforce solutions and ideas that you guys have. So ideally, our listeners can stay tuned for a future episode to get more info there. That would be great. I'd love to do that. There's a lot of tangible steps the legislature could be doing to blow up the higher education infrastructure and funding formula in particular. Absolutely, Ron. You know that is definitely a passion area of mine. So I look forward to kind of doing a deep dive with you on that and uh, connecting again with you soon. Thanks so much, Monica. 
Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us today. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news and information about the men and women building our communities, our skylines and our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.